You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Hello listeners and welcome to the Butuda Advocate Radio Show here for another week and alongside me here is Clancy as always. How are you? Good thanks mate. Yes, you are listening to Clancy and Errol on Desert Rock FM. Thank you for tuning in. If you live inside the Diamantina Shire, you've got us on the wireless. If you live outside, you're obviously listening to us on the Diamantina Podcast Network. Yes, it's been a biggish week in politics, hasn't it Clancy, in the political sphere? Yes. And we've got a big political name to run us through what's been happening and to give us a bit of a preview of this election that's about to be called any time soon, if you ask me. Yes, this week we are talking to Tanya Plibersek, Deputy Leader of the Opposition and the next Deputy Prime Minister of the country. She's a Sydney girl, inner city Sydney, and we actually were lucky enough to speak to her uh, today while we're down here ahead of the big showdown tonight. Yeah, we spoke to her in person, really enough, down here in the increasingly sterile hellhole that is the Harbour Republic, ahead of the great spectacle tonight that me and Clancy are going to, John Hopawati v. Paul Gallen. Yes, yes, it should be good. Now, we've been based down here for the last week or so, and it's incredible to see just how far this city has fallen. Which is nowhere near how far the banks have seemed to have fallen, or maybe stumbled over is the best analogy, Clancy. Well, I guess the uh, the two are linked together, I guess you could say, Sydney. And the banks, this uh, place is propped up by uh, coked up financial sector employees, uh, manipulating markets and uh, and really just, you know, uh, treating, treating this once rough, uh, fun, wild Harbour Republic as their little playground. Yes, this... This town really is a 69 between the Hillsong Church and the New South Wales Parliament, isn't it? A lot of give and take, but a lot more take from the Hillsong Church. Yes, I think the Libs are hoping this whole thing will go away. Both state government, uh, New South Wales state government, Liberal Party, as well as the federal government, but I don't think it will. They're lucky they do have the uh, NRL video leaks to throw in front of the media like a uh, sacrificial effigy, but I don't think uh, the... NRL sex scandals and what have you will uh, affect people in the future as, uh, as much as this Royal Commission will. And uh, it's interesting to see uh, across the board, uh, people are pretty concerned about what's happening. We've got a lot of uh, branch closures. We've got a lot of uh, high-powered executives resigning right across uh, the big four, which is Westpac, ANZ, National Australia Bank and uh, Commonwealth, which as an acronym, uh, they have been referring to in the media as wank. Have they? Yes, that's right. that's the new term for them that came out of uh, Kenneth Hayne, Commissioner Kenneth Hayne's report. Given the Libs and the Night Watchman's recent run, I find it hard to imagine they aren't sleeping pretty easy ahead of the big day, Clancy. Like, like we said, they, they've got it in the bag. They could Bradbury this, but um, you never know in this day and age, in this political climate. Anyway, plug time. If she isn't sleeping easy, we recommend Tanya Plibersek pops online and grabs herself a koala mattress. Perfect for a good night's sleep, uh, koala mattress is. But, uh, you know, Tanya, that's it. Uh, you know, if you are nervous about this election and not getting much sleep, uh, grab yourself a koala mattress. Uh, but I don't think you'll have a problem sleeping in this city because there's no pubs open after 9pm, which we've learnt uh, during our stay down here. Anyway, here she is. Well, here we are. It's a couple of hours until uh, Gallon vs. Hopawati. Uh, everyone's looking forward to it. Australian boxing is really hitting its straps, and we're very excited to see what happens tonight. But actually, while we're in town, uh, we've pulled up uh, in the Sydney 
electorate. I guess that's the actual title. And we are speaking to the local member sitting here with us today, Tanya Plibersek. Thank you for joining us. I'm delighted that um, you're able to drop in uh, on me in my electorate. I just wasn't really expecting the caravan out the front. And Mm. when someone said that you needed to hook up to the building sewerage. I, I just don't really know how to do that. I've never been asked that before by someone visiting yeah, the office. Yeah, no, well, uh, well, it's very lucky that we're in the heart uh, of this town, so we can just pour it down the gutter mm. like they oh, usually do. Please don't do that. Like it goes straight do. into Sydney Harbour. We'll take it down to Bondi. That's how they used to do it. Right? <laughs> or we'll just take it down the road to Albos uh, so it ends up in the Alexandria River and then up into Botany Bay. Yeah, you know, no, so it's, it's out of sight and out of mind. <laughs> Closer to ScoMo, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. Anyway, enough about uh, our defecations. Um, we, uh, we've we noticed since being here that this is actually an interesting part of uh, Sydney. Sydney's an interesting place. It's, I mean, arguably quite sterile of late, but you, uh, in this electorate, you have Chinatown, you have Redfern, a bit of it. I do. I, all of Redfern. All, all of, of Redfern. Yep. And then, obviously, the... Um, Entitlement belt further down to Newtown, you kind of get a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. that's a diverse electorate. Really, it really is for for an inner city electorate. Yeah, that's um, it is. Uh, look, it's one of the things I like best about my electorate. There's so much history here. So we've got. I suppose if you look down around the rocks, Miller's Point, what's now Barangaroo, that was. Uh, the beginning, really, of the Australian Union movement in lots of ways. It was the Hungry Mile, yeah. where people used to line up and hope for work and then began to organise and demand their rights. If you look at Erskineville, it's another great example of um, during the 1930s depression when the, the landlords tried to throw people out if they couldn't afford their rent. The residents used to get together and stop people from being thrown out of their homes, the green bands. Mm-hmm. Um, Redfern is the, the heart of so many... Uh, of our first Indigenous controlled organisations, the first in, um, Aboriginal Legal Service, the first Aboriginal Medical Service, and we've got beautiful Sydney Harbour too. I mean, I don't know where else you'd want to live. I, mm. I love it here. So do you live in a terrace house? No, I don't. I live mm. in a, a kind of 1912 bungalow sort of house. Right, right. Well, you know, an interesting thing we've found coming from Western Queensland where uh, there's a an interesting kind of uh, set up with public housing. Um, every town's got, you know, a couple houses up and down, uh, you know, throughout the town on different streets. Uh, but this traditionally has been a big house area uh, in Sydney. And that kind of seems to be clashing a little bit with, you know, what's uh, the, the Nova Rich and the and the yeah, kind of I, activated I, almonds. I dare say there's a lot of Greens voters here who have spent a lot of time counting their franking credits uh, <laughs> they've been had a couple of properties uh, uh probably not in your electorate and which uh, uh which have been negatively geared yeah it uh, it is one of the really interesting things about the electorate it's got some of the most expensive housing in sydney and still quite a lot of public housing um we've got the waterloo towers we've got a public housing at woolamaloo and glebe um that was Gazetted when Tom Uren was the mm-hmm. housing minister back in the Whitlam government. In the Nicar- boxer. Yeah, the, yeah, he was a boxer, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for the most part, the reason people move to the inner city, though, is because they like that diversity. We, mm-hmm. we have a pretty harmonious kind of community, all in all. Because it is different to uh, any other uh, inner city electorates around the country, say, 
uh, where Rudd was from up in Griffith in Brisbane, which is pretty much your, your run-of-the-mill um, Range Rovers kind of, you know, yeah. four, yeah. four-bedroom Queenslanders, but pretty white and pretty vanilla. Yeah. Uh, you've got you've got to wrangle different communities. You know, you, do, do you, how many different celebrations do you have to attend each Oh, year? lots. I'm going – I've got a lot of um, Lunar New Year things happening mm-hmm. at this time of year, uh, for example. But uh, – and t- tomorrow is um, – the Maronite Church have a celebration. I'm going to the the Maronite Church today to talk to them about their celebration tomorrow. Like it's great. It's people people move to areas like this because they want diversity and they like it. I, I think one of the problems is sometimes people move to the area because they want diversity and they like it, and then their lives change. They get a bit older. They have a few kids, and they hate it that they live next door to a pub. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think you have to... Um, so they rally Barry O'Farrell to bring the laws <laughs> that change the nitride. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you have to con- continue to love and support the diversity that first brought you here. Mm-hmm. And are many Slovenians around? No, there's not many in the whole of Australia. I think there's, yeah. I think there's about 60,000 in the whole of Australia. Really? Yeah. And, and your old man, he was he part of the scheme? Yeah, um, the Snowy Mountains Hydro Scheme, yes. Uh, Well, my dad, when he first came to Australia, came at a time when you had to work wherever you were sent for a few years, and he was sent to Parks to work on the Parks to Broken Hill Railway. Uh, So he went through the Bonigella um, refugee camp, as my mum did, but they didn't know each other at that time. He he went to the camp first, and then he went to um, Parks. He worked on the Parks to Broken Hill Railway, and um, and then he was allowed to choose wherever he wanted to work and he heard that at the Snowy Mountains the food was better than it was <laughs> on the railway. So he went there and he worked there for quite a number of years. He um, was working uh, doing explosives um, t- in tunnelling and he's a plumber and gas fitter so he's doing a bit of that sort of work too. He worked in Queensland and the sugar plantations, um, concrete spraying the inside of big um, sugar tanks and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. A lot of last names that are kind of, I guess you'd say, phonetically similar to yours in Western Queensland, um, Eastern European, Middle European yeah. kind of um, last names, and then that, that, that's a big thing as well. Actually, the old publican of Batuta Hotel, Sigmund yeah, Remyanko, who was a pole yeah. who landed in the back of Batuta um, as a part of one of those schemes. Yeah. Have, have you have you seen much of that still happening uh, regionally? Do you know what? I think there was a, my parents' generation. I, my mum came here and worked in a as a domestic worker and in, in, in a shoe factory. And they came here and they basically took whatever work was available to them. And they were so grateful for it because they were out of a war zone and they had uh, a roof over their heads and enough to eat. And you see that right through, obviously right through Sydney, but wherever I travel around Australia. Um, quite often I have people coming up to me. I said there's not many Slovenians, but there's enough that, um, for example, um, just the other day when we were in the Northern Rivers, a woman came up and spoke to me in Slovenian. The parents had settled there uh, earlier. You you see a lot of that post-World War migration right through Australia, right through our regional areas and our cities. It's good. Actually, I love it. So tell us... About the road from uh, from from going to journalism school, which which I guess that a lot of young people think is a good idea these days. Still, even though with the rapid decline in the in the media, the press, how the Herald now is owned by the same people who own the Today Show. Well, and, um, I so, I felt really mean because uh, I was at, talking to students at Sydney University for one of those. Um, 
you know, UN youth days and one of them said, I study journalism like you, what's your advice to me? And I said, get a second degree because it's such a tough world in journalism at mm-hmm. the moment. I think communications more generally, there's always more jobs for people who want to do PR or, you know, social media and like the related fields, yeah. advertising, but journalism is a really hard uh, hard slog at the moment and very experienced. People are losing their jobs or struggling to make ends meet. Um, I'd, I suppose I'd pick journalism because I was very interested in the world and making it a better place. And it, it's just—it's hard to say that without really sounding like a wanker. Um, yeah. But I wanted to do something that was good for people that well, would make the country better. It's a very common story. I mean, we, we did an article the other day about a, uh, a journalism student who had dreams of changing the world but has ended up having to write uh, the recaps for Married at First Sight. And, uh, <laughs> of course, when that show's over, they have to go on and do, and do The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. But speaking of, uh, of, of a second job... Um, you went from being a journalism graduate with, with the world at your feet and somehow you ended up in the Labor Party. Slumming it in the Labor Party yeah. is what you want to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. uh, well, I joined the Labor Party actually when I was about 14 and I had a in my teens a bit of a um, come here, go away uh, feeling about the Labor Party. I actually left for a while when... Um, we, we'd promised national land rights legislation and we gave up on it and we started selling uranium to, the Fran- to France and they were still nuclear testing in the Pacific. They were two sort of yeah. lines in the sand that made me leave. New Zealand. Yeah. No. So, um, but it's impossible to change the world on your own. You actually have to work with other people yeah. who've got similar values and the Labor Party's got the most similar values to mine. So you were in the young labour movement, yeah? Yeah, I was, I was in young labour. I, w- I wasn't quite as deep in it as um, I know you talk to Anthony Albanese sometimes. He was kind of living and breathing it 24-7. I was, again, a bit um, ambivalent about it, I suppose. So you weren't rallying over subway vouchers? We did actually occupy the vice-chancellor's office Ooh. and we did also occupy the... Um, one of the hotels at King's Cross uh, that was holding a higher education um, uh, conference at the time when they were trying to, you know, increase student fees and so on. So I I did a little bit of that sort of thing during my youth. So I guess that was probably the only time in your life that you... And Joe Hockey were on the same page about something, I guess, because he was was a rampant campaigner for... uh, Keeping education free. I don't recall ever being on the same page as Joe Hockey about anything. Definitely. There was an article today, um, actually, about there about uh, Uncle Tony Abbott, the uh, Northern Beaches elder from the Warringah electorate, special envoy. Have you asked Uncle Tony Mundine how he feels about Uncle Tony being called Uncle Tony? I, I just guess there's a lot of Uncle Tonys out there in Australia. There's a lot of Anthonys in there. You know, the Chock will become Uncle Tony one day, I guess, as well, if he um, or Uncle Chock. But uh, Abbott was uh, talking today, he's been doing a lot of collusion with the young liberals. What do you see when you see those young kids coming through the ranks who are kind of, you know, they've grown up either in Singapore, Piermont, Ascot. In the back of a Range Rover. Yeah, back of a Range Rover. Do you you feel that that's a problem? There's like a little bit of like Mike Baird's in training happening around the country? Look, I I know you'd 
you'd expect me to say I see evil hordes of devil spawn, but I really don't. I see, for the most part, um, a lot of uh, idealistic young people who are sort of working their way through what they believe in. And um, it's particularly true of our young Labor people. They're just, I don't know, old people are very quick to say young people these days, they're not interested, they don't get involved, they don't work hard. And it's it's just not my experience mm-hmm. of young people who get involved in politics. So is that kind of the story that you that you heard when you were first elected to parliament at age 29? You know, you had the... The father of the house, you know, the uh, – who was that? that uh, Ian Sinclair. Philip Ruddick. Oh, Philip Ruddick. Yeah, yeah. You, know, we, you, you know, was was he like, oh, no, the, the youth is in here now, you know? No, I, I was really lucky. I went in um, in 1998 and in the same intake in the for the Labor Party was Julia Gillard, Nicola Roxon, Kirsten Livermore, Michelle O'Byrne, Anna Burke. Uh, like there was a bunch yes. of us that went in. That I was I was the youngest of the group, but I wasn't mm. that much younger than the others. I, I think um, it was much harder for people like Natasha Stott Despoja because there was only one of yeah. her that uh, she didn't have a bit of a kind of critical mass like we did and I think about um, like my friend Jeanette McHugh when she went into the parliament, the federal parliament 35 years ago, she was in the old parliament house, there weren't even any women's toilets she was the first woman from New South Wales of any political party to go into the federal parliament only 35 years ago so a lot's changed in that yeah. time. Jeez, they had to build women's toilets. That's no, a- she had to go out and use the ones that the public used. Like oh, there were no yeah. there were no women's toilets in the MP section. Mm. She had to go out and go into the you know, the cafe down the road. Now do you find um and you'll probably be quite generous to your you know, your colleagues, but do you find that there's like even now you're breaking ceilings um, you know, in the Labor Party? Do you do you even feel like that now? Or or in Parliament in general? Uh I'm still often the only woman in the room when there's a meeting and uh, I do think it's really important that um, people like me use the opportunity to identify, mentor and promote other women because it just shouldn't be like that. Well, you're almost at half in the Labor Party now. It's 46%. Yeah, we are. And it's deliberate. It's yeah. intentional. And it takes years. Like you can't – these things don't happen overnight. Yeah. We, we had a national conference in 1994 when we did our first affirmative action um, rule changes. And I was at that conference and there was big celebration, but not everybody was happy. There was a bunch of people that we had to fight and overcome to get affirmative action in the Labor yeah. Party. At that time, we were at just over 14% female representation in MPs. It was 14.5%. The Liberals were at 13.9%, just under 14%. So round about the same. Here we are today. We're at almost 47%. We'll hit 50% at the next election. It'll be a rounding error. Uh, six years ahead of the schedule we've set ourselves, and the Liberals are still at about one in five. Yeah. Because they haven't taken deliberate action to do it. You can't just wear a pair of red shoes and think that will fix gender inequality. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. We interviewed uh, Miss Bishop uh, while we were over there in, in Perth, in Perth on, on tour. Do you think she's got a tough job, uh, tougher than she was letting on? Did she let you hook the caravan up to her um, plumbing? Cottesloe Beach. We were yeah. told to park it a few blocks away before <laughs> yeah. we went down there. <laughs> I, I, I think it's shocking that her colleagues can't see past her gender to appoint the most popular person mm. to 
replace Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, you know, what idiots are they? But I also think um, Julie Bishop spent her whole career saying she's not a feminist and the Liberal Party didn't need affirmative action. Uh, and these are kind of the consequences. Like if you're the deputy leader of a party for um, whatever it was, 11 years, and you have the opportunity to make a difference and you don't take that opportunity, not for yourself, but for other people, th- these these are the, the fruits of what you've sown. Now we want we want to talk about the the one that did come in after um, in in that spill uh, surprise uh, Scott Morrison. I, I want to bet on that, you know. Did you? Did you? Yeah, I did. We had a bet like about uh, a year before um, the spill, saying who with? Oh, just a you uh, know, bunch yeah. of my colleagues. <laughs> um, uh, who did we think? Did we think that Malcolm Turnbull would still be leader? Uh, at the next election, and if not Malcolm, who? And we so we took bets whether it was Malcolm Turnbull, Scott Morrison, some people back Peter Dutton, and I was the only person who thought it would be Scott Morrison. Really? Yeah, and I cleaned up. That's good. You you, you know, and you might um, you know you, you you must make a good politician if you can see that chaos unfolding. You know, six months ahead, because it really it, that that was a huge call to to get that. Uh, yeah, it was more luck than brilliance, <laughs> but, yeah. but thank you. You're just playing the odds. Uh, yeah, but I, I won 400 bucks. So oh, I, yeah. I, I got to donate it to a marginal seat campaign. So there you go. So <laughs> winners all round. You spent more. You've, you've spent more of your life living in the Shire than Scott Morrison has, who is currently the member for Cook. Yeah, and my husband says you can take the girl out of the shire, but you can't take the shire out of the girl. I don't know what he means by that. Do you still drink energy drink? I don't drink energy drink. God no. Monster. But if there was if there was a West Coast cooler, I would find it very hard to say no yeah, to that. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Cruisers nowadays, I believe the young. I, I know they they are very different these days, and there's a lot more variety in the sweet alcoholic drink area. I've got an 18 year old daughter, and I've noticed some of this creeping into our home. <laughs> yeah, well, you know they're very alcoholic. That's the difference between uh, a six pack of beer for the boys and a six pack of. There's a big difference in the cruises and the yeah and the uh, and the, and the mid strength forex golds. If you're being responsible, do you know we had a, a party for my daughter's 18th birthday? The thing that surprised me most was the beer that was most popular was the low carb beer. Really, what ha- what's happened to the young people? Well, well, uh, it's 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 to be honest, so uh, that's to be expected uh, here in the in the inner cogs of Sydney. Oh, I excuse dare say, me, are you going to now insult my electorate? Where people go to the gym a lot because they don't do any outdoor work, you know, where they uh, like to, to look good in pictures and go to the beach, you know. So that's they're all they're all shredding. They've not all got really diet plans. Those that young surprising people. here in the uh, F forty five belt of Sydney, I guess. You know. <laughs> Everyone likes to get <laughs> low carb beers. I mean, uh, Batuta United Breweries are yet to make one, but um, yeah, they they do seem. We popular. have a high carb beer, yeah, high uh, carb with with extra carbs in it. Yeah. You know how um how was growing up in the Shire? No, it was great. It yeah. was really good. Yeah, um, this is like pre riots. Yes, it was. It yeah. was before the Cronulla riots. But I went to a school of about eight hundred girls, and I reckon there was half a dozen of us that came from a. Culturally and linguistically diverse background. Really, not many of us. It was it was um, a lot of people that had settled there after the Second World War. There was a lot of returned soldier settlement there, and um, their offspring stayed. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Like right next to the Royal National Park, 
beautiful beaches, beautiful rivers. It's great. So tell us about uh, Scott Morrison. When you look at him, you see, you can see through that. You can see through that Cronulla. Uh, he just looks eastern suburbs to me. Yeah. I expect him to be wearing boat shoes when I see him on the mm-hmm. weekends. Panama hat, Turnbull style. Yeah. I, I think he would be more at home paddling a kayak on the harbour mm-hmm. than... Uh, I don't know, having a yeah. swim at Gibbon Beach. I mean, I, I don't even know whether people's <laughs> personal lives are that relevant to how they do their jobs, I mm. suppose. I'll just leave it at that. But ScoMo is also, he's a pretender. Uh, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we, uh, one question we ask all of our politicians is, who is the villain in Parliament? And sometimes oh. they answer. Oh. Dean Natale definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to keep it to one. I'd have to say Peter Dutton's probably yep. top of my list. Mm-hmm. As in, you, you reckon he could be in a movie, like the the way he operates? Uh, he, well, <laughs> it's not a movie I'd want to watch. It's not a movie I'd let the kids watch, that's for sure. You wouldn't let your kids watch Harry Potter? I let my kids watch Harry, <laughs> Harry Potter. That's not as scary as a whole Voldemort film. So have, so have you ever been in, like, in a lift with him or something, you know, where you just, like, like a demental there reaction. Is. No, because I remember about a year ago. No, because I remember about a year ago, I hopped on a plane and he was there in business class right up the front. And, you know, it was just a bit like, yeah. whoa. There he is. Bit yeah, of Medusa. I've been you know, in physical proximity to him more than once. I've shaken his hand. Now, that would have been really hard to navigate through the um, the gay marriage debate. That would have been hard because you've been you were on that well before your colleagues, and you were uh, you were on that for decades. Yeah. Um, do you feel like a lot of people kind of jumped on the bandwagon with that, or, and, and is that how it's meant to happen? That, that's exactly how it's meant to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, that that means you've been successful if you yeah. if you take an issue from. Mm-hmm. Uh, an unpopular, difficult or fringe issue and make it mainstream, mm-hmm. you've been successful. That's yeah. that's what you need for legislative change. No, I just I just need to ask you um, one regional question, which um, I hope you might have an answer to. As we saw, you know, the last time the Labor Party was, was in, in power, in regards to regional Australia, you weren't shy about making a, a, a knee-jerk snap decision uh, that has affected an entire industry still to this day, which was the ban on live exports that harmed a lot of people up there in Northern Australia. And now we've got the uh, the biggest uh, hot button topic in regional Queensland and New South Wales, which is the Murray-Darling. Should Labor come, come to power this year, how long until we'd see a full ban on growing and the export of cotton? Um, well, I don't think anybody's contemplating that, and it's not—it's not what the u- water gets used for that's relevant. It's how much water we're taking out of the system, and how much of that is being taken um, legally and within the limits that have been set, and how much of it's being taken in excess of those limits that we really need to look at. I think. Yeah, because you know, right as we speak, North Queensland's flooding, Tasmania's on fire and fruits falling off trees in uh, South Australia. And the sun shining in Sydney. Yeah. yeah. And everything, and everything. I mean, I guess it always is, and that's the problem. But um, do you think uh, there, w- there will be kind of 
What's the position on that kind of stuff? You know, the changing climates, the the radical kind of environmental disasters that we're seeing around the country that can be, you know, um, sped up through cotton farming. Do, is, do you now have to work with industries alongside the environment? Is that something that anyone's even considering? Um, uh, look, I, I don't think you can pick out one-off you can't pick out one-off problems and say this is caused by climate change and you can't pick off you know, one industry or one source of pollution and say that's the problem. The, the best and most effective way of reducing the risk uh, of climate change is to lo- lower carbon pollution in the atmosphere and we should do that in the most methodical and cost-effective way we can mm-hmm. and you know that's what our policies have always been about: putting a price on carbon, reducing the likelihood of pollution, uh, and the same with looking after our water. You, you, there's no point in picking one, as you were saying before, one villain and saying that's the problem. We have to have a methodical um, policy that looks at the river system as a whole and our water water usage as a whole. Uh, I know that's a really boring way of responding to your question but mm. that's the truth I like mean, that's we, that is actually we, the yeah. complex work of we're government we're for guillotines but <laughs> no. no that's that's not that's you heard not it here plan. first yeah, yeah. Okay. so as as a member of the labor party though uh, how often do you have to deal with with you know the the true representatives of regional Australia, the National Party? Like, <laughs> are they um, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll talk to you a little bit about the National Party. Uh, I know um, plenty of uh, I know plenty of farmers who are in the National Party who've always been in the National Party. It, it's sort of like um, growing up belonging to a particular church. You don't really question it, and uh, and. I, I kind of see the appeal um, in some ways. Like some of the National Party, my friends in the National Party are really charming people. And you, you spoke to Michael McCormick. I think he's a very nice man. And um, Paul Neville, who uh, very sadly passed away uh, not so long ago, he was just a really delightful gentleman, country gentleman. Mm-hmm. But you look at the policies of the nationals and what they do for regional Australia, and I really do think they let their communities down. Like one example is the support of the National Party for cuts to school funding, to needs-based school funding. The poorest schools, the ones that would have disproportionately benefited from extra needs-based school funding, are in, in regional areas. Like there's a That's why Adrian Piccoli, the former um, uh, nationals, education minister in New South Wales was such a strong supporter of the Gonski education reforms because he knew that country schools would be better off. You can't kind of um, just stand, you know, say you're standing up for for regional communities or, or country communities and then agree to cuts to that. The universities as well, like some of the worst cuts to universities hit regional universities because the city universities, Sydney University or University of New South Wales, they can just take a, a few thousand extra full, fee, a full fee-paying overseas student. That makes up the difference for them. Regional universities don't have that flexibility. So nationals, if they say they're for country areas, should stand up for country people. I mean, it has been too long. We've got metal detectors down at Batuta Ponds High. You know, it's it's, it's a rough school to work at, and uh, you know, we, we could we could use a few more resources down there, particularly in the workshop. Yeah, I think the kids have been crying out for air conditioning too. Mm. You know, you, you've got the kids at the Hooton School, that's mm. a local private school there in Batuta Grove. Um, they've had air conditioning since you know the country was using pounds and pence, mm. you know, and you've got these people. 
um, who ha- have to send their kids to public school because lo and behold they don't come from a lot of money yeah. and um and and their kids have had to had to suffer the injustice of uh, of going to a school on the edge of the Simpson Desert that doesn't have air conditioning. Well, I know the um, Queensland government, uh, the Labor government, is air conditioning a whole lot more schools. The New South Wales Labor Party has committed that it would if it wins the next uh, election. But, of course, air conditioning is important so that teachers can do their jobs and kids can learn properly. But there's so much more to do in our schools as well. And we've got a government at the moment that's restored funding to Catholic and independent schools but continues to stand by a cut of $14 billion to public schools that educate two-thirds of our kids. Mm -hmm. So one of the election promises uh, the Labor Party's come out with in the lead-up to this election is to give more money to public schools. Yeah, yeah, fourteen billion dollars extra, and you can look up the um, Fair Go for Schools website and see how much extra um, would uh, your local public school would get in the first three years of a Labor government. Right, we led you into that one. That was a good one. Yeah, um, thank you. What would you say is the most? You, un- you left me like a little trail of crumbs to follow <laughs> to get to that, didn't you? We even got a website in. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you say is the most unpopular policy the Labor's running into this election with? They're all terrific policies. <laughs> no, but uh, on the like, what you, you know, you're going to have to. You, sometimes you have to, you know, go against uh, popular opinion uh, for what you believe. Is there anything like that right now? No, you're not, not full blown populists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to hear more about uh, another one of your election policies, and that's uh, a shake up of the um, of the negative gearing and. Franking credits, which are due to... Okay, so there's two policies there, the negative gearing and capital gains tax for investment housing and the um, franking credits for dividends. Okay, well, let's talk about housing for a sec. Um, uh, If you're currently negatively gearing, uh, there is no change. You won't have to sell your property. There is no change for you. But if you want to negatively gear in the future, you'll have to do it by investing in new property. And the aim of that is to get channel people into supporting more construction of more housing so we add to rental stock in Australia. We're also reducing the the capital gains tax discount. We just don't think it's fair that someone gets more help to buy their seventh investment property than a young first homeowner gets to buy their first or a renter gets to have affordable rental. We can't afford to keep doing it. It seems logical. Yeah, well, that's uh, about $30 billion that we're not going to spend on subsidies there that we can spend on schools and hospitals as well. The other one, the um, dividend imputation, I honestly think people's eardrums will start bleeding if I explain the background and detail of this. Um, There's a reason most people don't understand it. It's because they don't use it. In fact, 96% of Australians don't touch this stuff. What it is basically is a tax refund paid in cash to people who haven't paid tax. So yep. tax refund paid in cash to people who haven't paid tax. Uh, it, it, the, the vast bulk of this benefit goes to people with self-managed superannuation funds. And of that, more than half goes to people with more than $2.4 million in their self-managed super. So it's really going to people, by and large, with very large self-managed super funds. And if someone tells you that they're losing $10,000 a year income, that means they've got $460,000 worth of shares. That's on top of their family home. That's on top of all their other investments. So 
we're not going to cop this sort of scare campaign that this is about pensioners or retirees. It's about a fraction of people with very large assets getting a cash payment from the government that in many cases is bigger than the age pension. Yeah. And now they're complaining. So basically what you're saying is KAB. What's KAB? Yeah, what's KAB? Kill all boomers. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that we're giving but, um, people a lot of notice. If they yeah. want to change their arrangements, they can. But this is costing now. This subsidy is costing more than we spend on public schools right? as a Commonwealth government. Like, how can that be fair? And it's not sustainable because it's growing all the time. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This, was, uh, this, this, this policy was first brought in under Costello um, yes. as, 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 as a bit of a gift um, to the Liberal base. You yeah. Know, they've done a bit of... So, um, dividend imputation, uh, the the old-style dividend imputation was brought in by Paul Keating, and basically it meant that if a company's paid tax on its profits yeah. and you get a, a payment from that company in the form of a dividend, you don't yeah. pay tax again. Yeah. So, it's to avoid double taxation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Peter Costello said, oh, hang on, if you're not paying enough tax to get that tax rebate, we're just going to give it to you as a cash payment. And when he brought it in, it cost about $500 million a year. It now costs uh, um, well over $6 billion, closing in on $8 billion in the next couple of years. So it has just blown out exponentially. And people mm-hmm. are um, arranging their whole retirement income to get this cash payment from the Commonwealth. You yeah. just can't do that. Yeah. Do you think there are people out there looking for loopholes? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, it's not a loophole. It's yeah. a perfectly legal yeah. thing to do, but it's not sustainable and it's not fair mm. that um, it's not fair that you get this cash payment from the Commonwealth because then no one's paid tax on that profit. The company hasn't paid tax and you've any, well, the, the company's paid tax and you've just received that as a cash rebate. Who's paid the tax on the profit? Just one more thing. But are people's I'll, eardrums bleeding? No, no, no. No, no, it's, no, um, no. This is this is the like that. This is great for our listeners. It's great for us. It's great for our our town because there are a lot of people, like you said, who don't who aren't invested. Yeah, in this who and we don't can't understand why. And if all get, of the media are talking about. If you get a dollar of a part pension, mm-hmm. you're not affected. Pensioners are exempt. Yeah. So you you can own your own home. You can have um, income from superannuation and other assets. If you get a dollar of a pension, as a part pension, you're not affected either. This is a narrow group of people. Are you not surprised that now Channel 9's Fairfax, Sky News and everything else owned by Murdoch are talking about this like this is the make or break for the election? I'm not surprised that the Liberals and their um, media cheer squad um, in News Limited think this is the most important issue today, but it's not the thing that People rate. I had two public forums this week, and neither of them did anybody raise this as an issue. Because it sounds like a big call yeah. when you're dealing with a Australia has a very aging population, and there's a lot of people with nest eggs. But most know. people aren't affected. Yeah, most, most people, most aren't people affected, with superannuation aren't affected. Most a people, lot of people are being led to believe they are as well. Yeah, and mm. that's a scare campaign, and we mm. have to we have to counter the scare campaign. But honestly, we want to spend money making sure that every Australian school child gets a great education. We want to make sure that every three and four-year-old get to go to preschool. We want to make sure that people can afford to go to their GP and not be putting their hand yep. in their pocket for out-of-pocket expenses for the GP and specialists, that if they get to the hospital, they can be seen in emergency or get the surgery they need. Of all of the things that we want to do, 
Is our greatest priority helping someone buy their eighth investment property or making sure that someone's got a couple of million bucks in super continues to get a cash payment from the government that they they don't that they're not too high up the list for us in terms of mm-hmm. priorities. I know it's hard for people who have something now who have to give it up, but as a nation, we can't afford for that expense to keep increasing. Well, we're just coming up to the top of the hour, I think. We've just gone past the 40-minute mark. Um, Tanya, thank you for uh, for giving us your time today. It's a pleasure. Um, and I guess that next time you come up to see the uh, tree knowledge buckled and you'll uh, have to hang a right and come and see us. I'll look forward to it. And, and yeah, like we, we will see, you know, your job title will inevitably change in the next few months, um, possibly Deputy Prime Minister, if Bill doesn't manage to Hillary Clinton this alley-oop, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you in uh, 2IC, I guess. Fingers crossed. Thank you. All right, coming up to the top of the hour here. Up next is the news with Janine, and then there's Hello Sport. Until next time, I'm Errol Parker. Stay out of the pokies. Don't talk to the cops. They aren't your friends. They will ruin your life. And I'm Clancy Overall. You be kind to each other.